Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 247. My name's Adam Patterson. Joining me today, we got Kevin Rakestraw. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing pretty good. This week on the show, we have two reviews lined up for you with Alice Lowe's Prevenge and Frank V. Ross's Bloomin' Mud Shuffle. A little bit of that Bloomin' Mud Shuffle. I'm still not sure what that Bloomin' Mud Shuffle is. The, The only thing that I can really figure out is that there's one point in the movie where he mentions mud. Yeah, some sort of mud, mud, mud-like substance that they yeah. use. That's the only thing I can really come up with as far as a connection. We'll also be going over some we've been watching on the watch list along with a roundup of new releases in theaters, VOD, and Blu-ray. Remember, you can join in on the conversation by sending us an email, podcast at filmpulse.net or sending us a tweet at filmpulse.net. And if you like what you hear, consider helping us out by donating to our Patreon, patreon.com slash filmpulse, for just a dollar a month. Uh, now, before we kick things off with our first review, I wanted to mention that we have a new daily podcast that we're going to be putting out on anchor.fm. So if you guys tune in to the, you can get the anchor.fm app for your smartphone or you can go to the website, which is anchor.fm. And we're going to be putting out uh, maybe five, ten minute uh, shows every single day on that on that platform. So I'm pretty excited. This is kind of, a, I look at this as kind of a trial run of this. It's just to see if it sticks, see if people like it. One thing that I like about it is that it has a call-in feature where you can, if you're listening to a show, there's a, just a button right there on the app and you can just hit it and it'll call into the show and you can leave a comment like and then the way that the editor is laid out you can actually include those comments until in like the next episode that you make Hmm. so it's a a very easy way uh, for people to to interact and I, i think that that's really cool and i'm hoping that people will utilize that with our show and give us you know suggestions I've on whatever topic we're discussing I think it'll be cool so you can listen to the first one our first one is up we posted it today which is Sunday I went over our kickstart Sunday pick and um just so yeah just tune in it's just if you go to anchor.fm it's film pulse you'll find it pretty quickly I think uh let's move on to our first review I was thinking we could we could do bloom and mud shuffle first oh we're going are we going all right, let me, going, let me switch up my taps here. We're going comedy first. Going with the comedy. All right. Uh, I have a synopsis here. Lonnie's life hasn't changed much in the 16 years since he graduated high school. Still painting houses, still drinking too much, still hanging out with the same old friends. As far as he can, can see, his only hope for the future lies in taking his physical relationship with coworker Monica to the next level. This is written and directed, and I believe edited by Frank V. Ross. He's the uh, he did uh, Ho Hokum and uh, Tiger Tail Blue. Yep, which, which I didn't get around to watch. Yes, I did not see that. This is my first Frank V. Ross. I've been meaning to watch his movies for a while. I didn't even know he had a new one. Well, neither did I. Across, until I stumbled across this one. This is this is released by Factory Twenty Five, guys. Factory Twenty Five. Seriously, what are you doing here? 
Had no. This movie apparently came out on Vimeo on demand on the twenty first, but neither of us had any idea. And I get I get press releases from Factor Twenty Five all the time, and I didn't even know that this film existed. So yeah, let's. Uh, I, I don't know. You guys got to do a little bit better with getting your movies out there. I would. Yeah, I would think like at least like press emails are pretty. I don't think they really cost anything, do they? No. Yeah. So. I mean, you maybe have to pay for like a subscription to MailChimp or one of those. No, that MailChimp. Yeah. So this stars James Ransom. Kevin, what'd you think of Bloom and Mud Shuffle? Bloom and Mud Shuffle, I found to be a pretty good time. It's interesting because it's it's pretty realistic in its structure and everything, the way it's kind of set up. Uh, there was definitely some parallels to my own life that I don't I don't know if that helped it probably helped it because like you said in the synopsis there you know since 16 years since high school which that's pretty much us it's been mm-hmm. 16 years for us i'm not painting houses but i still drink too much and i still hang out with like the same amount of friends that i had in high school but yeah uh, i don't know it was just one of those things where was, i just there's not a lot to like latch on to and be like, okay, I, I thought that this was amazing and this was amazing and this was amazing. It's just one of those things where I just I enjoyed myself immensely while watching it. It's yeah, kind of kind of like a carefree time. Yeah, I kind of agree. I think that this is one of these kind of uh, standard low key American indies where there's some really good dialogue, some very kind of natural sounding dialogue, a lot of conversations, especially between uh, James Ransom and Alex Karpovsky. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of that stuff feels very natural, very off the cuff, uh, especially it's like while, because you and I used to work together in kind of a menial labor type job. And these are the types of conversations that you have in that yeah. work environment. Like you just talk about whatever random things happen to pop into your head that'll distract you from the tedious work that you're doing yeah and so to that i i did appreciate all of that i enjoyed the movie quite a bit one of the things that i thought was interesting that stuck out to me was how they handled the passage of time in the film it because it'll jump forward in time by a day or it seems like maybe even several weeks at a time yeah. and but they don't really there's no like clues yeah, you have yeah. to just it it happens very organically and you need to just kind of figure out like oh okay so this is this isn't the next day or later that same day this is like we're several days or maybe even a couple weeks ahead here. yeah because you're never you're never really entirely sure what how many days have passed which i think is is really interesting because a lot of the days are so you know they're all so similar where it's you know wake up you go eat paint houses, you hang out a little bit after work, do some drinking, go to sleep, wake up, paint some houses, you know, and the days just start blending together like that. So, it, you know, I did appreciate that because the, the first time that happened was kind of jarring because especially the way it's set up with his his developing relationship with that co-worker, Monica, who's played by Alicia Rasmussen, like that kind of threw me off a little bit. I wasn't 100 percent sure what's what was going on with their relationship. Right. Because it's like, they're they're like, you know, they're flirting with each other and stuff. And then all of a sudden she's just at his house and you're like, Oh, so you guys are like an item now or what's going on here? 
Well, at one point, I wasn't even sure that what we were seeing was in chronological order. I was questioning that at one point, too, because there'd be one scene where they seem, the two of them seem very close, like they're already in a relationship. And then the next scene, there you feel that distance again. And I'm like, okay, well. Yeah, where they're still kind of like dancing around. Yeah. And it's like, I, I don't know if we're jumping around in time here or if it's because she she she's deliberately trying to keep her distance even though she's lets her guard down at times and and comes in close to him and then has to push herself away again yeah so i thought that that was all uh pretty pretty well constructed as well yeah and i think it took what is like you said it's kind of it's kind of familiar you know low-key indie dramedy if you will even though i don't think didn't seem like there was a whole lot of drama in there, but uh, uh, there's a few moments. I, I think the alcoholism is probably yeah. the biggest. But I like the way that bit. the way that that was handled as well, where it's not like at the forefront, projected in the front, where it's like this is the issue. It's just you know, it's just kind of exists alongside everything else in the film. That's true, but they did make a point to showing they showed him drinking a lot. And yeah. they 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 made it very clear to the audience that he has a problem with this. Like this isn't a guy that just you know overdoes it every now and then. Like this is he's got a problem. Which I could see if I, if I was single, I could see that. That would be me. Yeah, I'd have the models. It it wouldn't it wouldn't be me. Cause I'd I get headaches too easily from drinking, so I wouldn't be able to do it. Like I I. Lucky for me, I could never be an alcoholic because I would just have constant migraines and I just wouldn't be able to do it. That's why I don't drink nearly as much as I used to because of that. It's gotten worse with age, too. So Yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate at times. It's a bummer. But Sorry to hear that. Yeah, uh, James Ransom was great in it. Uh, I like him in pretty much everything I've seen him in. I think I first saw him in Ken Park. I think that was oh, probably really? the first. I think that was probably the first thing I saw him in. He was in Kemp Park. Yeah, I didn't know that. He was the guy that killed his parents. Oh shit! Or maybe it was his grandparents. I can't remember if it was his grandparents or his parents in that. Oh shit! Oh shit, James. Yeah, that I'm pretty sure that was the first movie I saw him in. Actually, looking at his filmography, is one of the first movies he did. Uh, that was probably the first movie I saw him in too. Yeah. He was the guy that they showed. Jerking off and ejaculating. So you saw you saw a whole lot of James Ransom. I I had no idea. I didn't know. Yeah, he was in that uh, that show Generation Kill, which uh, was really good. Didn't see it. Hmm. He's in so many things that I just I either saw him in and had no idea. I didn't know he was in Red Hook Summer. Yeah. I don't know this the old boy remake. Didn't know that. Yeah, he was in the. He was in The Wire, too. He was, uh, that, that was like the second time I was like, oh, there's that guy from Ken Park. He was in, the, I think it was the second season of The Wire, the one that took place at the docks. Mm. The bad season. Yeah, the only thing I remember him from is Tangerine and the Valley of Violence, because those are both um, fresh in my mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm he's, surprised he's... I remember anything about In Valley of Violence. He's in a lot of, he's, he, he does uh, really good work. He's in that new movie called The Clapper that's coming out. Um, it's going to be at Tribeca, which I'm pretty excited about. With uh, I think Ed Helms is in that. Mm. It's about a guy who 
goes to see like a like a late night talk show or something and he i think he like claps really loud or maybe claps too long or something and it like somebody records it and the video goes viral and it like ruins his life (laughs) that sounds so stupid but awesome at the same time yeah i'm pretty excited to see it i think it's gonna be i think it's gonna be funny it sounds like that would only work as a short film. No, Please it's, tell me it's a short film. No, it's it's a it's a feature length. Gonna, what they probably drew it out to like eighty seven minutes too. I I don't know how long it is. I'm just, I'm just gonna say right now, it's not gonna work. It's not gonna work. It's gonna work at twelve minutes, not an hour and a half. Come on, guys. Yeah, it's an hour and a half. Yeah, I don't know. We'll <laughs> we'll see. I'm I I have that on my list to see at, at Tribeca. So. Uh, getting back to Bloom and Mud Shuffle, Alex Karpovsky was another highlight for me. I thought he was really funny, but I mean, if you, he, he kind of basically, yeah, basically every role that he's in, he just plays himself in in some sense. And, but to me that, that works though. Like I could have Ray, that's his character's name on girls. I could have Ray in pretty much anything and it makes it a little, at least a little bit better. Yeah. I'd like that. It's like, I don't know if it's, he doesn't try. I doubt it's that. I think it's the, just, they hire him and he's like, all right, who do I get to play? What's my character? And they're just like, like, uh, just be Alex Karpovsky. That'd be great. And he's like, are you sure? I I have range. I would love to show it off. And they're like, "Mm, no, we just need you to be Alex. If you could. I liked the, uh, I also liked the cameo from, uh, I mean, the cameo from Swanberg was okay, but the uh, cameo from Ken Osborne was the yeah, best. That... Spandex man. <laughs> he had that stupid fucking rearview mirror thing on his yeah. helmet. Yeah, God. Built the... And I, lo- I loved the conversation they had regarding that because everything they were saying about that, I was just like, yes, yes. 100%. 100% yes. I also appreciated the conversation they had about Seinfeld because... That's something that I've observed too. The fact that people still talk about Seinfeld like 16 oh, yeah. years after it's been off the air. Oh yeah. No, and they're 100% right in what happens. Like I always hear that too where it's that oh it's like that Seinfeld episode. You know, if you see anyone pull out a wallet that is entirely too thick, the Costanza wallet. Coming up. Yeah, Seinfeld's coming up. I if like you that though. Someone, I, I as, as a, a close walker, Seinfeld's coming up. That, I think that that just speaks to the genius of that show and the oh, timelessness yeah, yeah. of that show. 100%, yes. I don't look at it as a bad thing in any way. Me either. I'm all for it. Bloom and Mud Shuffle. Let's uh, give this thing a score. I'm going to throw out a... I'm, uh, I'm going to say seven on this one. I think I'm going to go like seven, seven and a half. I don't, I don't have very, very uh, anything really negative to say about it. It was just one of these kind of in and out type movies it was uh, pretty short on the runtime which uh, i appreciated because if 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 it was too much more than than what it was i probably would have started to feel um the tedium of it like i i st- i would have been living his life at that point <laughs> you would have started filling up tumblers of vodka right exactly that and getting exactly. cigarettes out of the freezer yep i hear you i'm with so, you so Bloom and Mud Shuffle, I think the big thing for me is I don't like the title. I just don't like it. I don't like it saying it. I just not, on. not a big fan of the title. That's that's really my biggest. That's what's point. holding you back from, <laughs> from a ten. <laughs> yeah, 
You're taking three points off because <laughs> mm, he just blew me much up. He can't get around that. I do no. want to see. This does make me want to check out some more of uh, Frank Ross's stuff. So yes, I definitely because, like I said at the beginning, I've I've been wanting to watch his stuff for a while. It's been on the list as like a potential for unsung indies, and watching this one, I'm I'm very excited to get get back to those past works. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's move on to our next film. We're talking about Prevenge. Oh, by the way, Bloom and Mud Shuffle is available on Vimeo On Demand. It's like... 425. 425. What a random number. Yeah, 425. Rent that sucker. Yeah, so check it out. Uh, Prevenge is our next movie. I have a synopsis here. Widow Ruth is seven months pregnant when, believing herself to be guided by her unborn baby, she embarks on a homicidal rampage dispatching anyone who stands in her way. This is written and directed by Alice Lowe, also stars Alice Lowe from, uh, probably recognize her from Sightseers. That's certainly where I Mm -hmm. recognized her from. Uh, So, Prevenge, I think I'll start this one off. I enjoyed this one quite a bit. There were some issues that I had with it that I'm sure you had as well, but uh, overall, I thought it was a a pretty, pretty fun time. Pretty shocking in the level of uh, graphic violence in this. I I expected it to be violent given the synopsis, but uh, where it goes, I was just, I was pretty surprised. Uh, But I thought it was very funny and it wasn't, it wasn't the kind of humor that I expected it to be. It was a dark comedy, but the, the humor was a lot more subtle than I kind of anticipated. And I actually appreciated that. It wasn't as like slapsticky and goofy. It was, uh, in a lot of ways, it was more serious than I expected. Mm. Uh, so what did you think of Prevenge? I think this is one of those where I'm just like, it's all right. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't getting irritated with the film, but I also wasn't that invested in it. I was just kind of like, oh, all right. That was a, I just spent a certain amount of time watching a film. All right. And I just kind of went on with my day. I said, like, the first, the first one, the first murder kind of shocked me because i didn't i didn't know we were just going to get right into it oh yeah so that kind of caught me off guard and i was like oh shit we're doing it we're getting right down to business here we go but from that point on it just didn't i i don't know it just didn't seem i just didn't really understand the point of this i didn't know what we were doing i didn't know what we were trying to get at i thought that i thought that one of the things that made it interesting to watch was to figure out how she's choosing the people that she's choosing and where all this kind of stems from. And then the kind of her being confronted with her actions at the end. And then one of the the things that I wasn't too into was how it ended. I didn't think that it should have ended that way because I felt like it kind of was counterintuitive to what she had, like the realization that she had later in the film. Yeah. And it just didn't seem like it felt like that they threw that in there. It was like, up, oh, gotcha, you know, like a gotcha moment. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really, I didn't really like that aspect of it. But everything up until that, where like you're trying to figure out how she's targeting these people and who they are and how they fit into her life as this kind of, it's almost like a mystery as it unfolds. And I mean, you could put the pieces together pretty early on, but I like that there's kind of subtle clues there at the beginning, at least with the first. Uh, two or three people she kills yeah, while you, while I, you piece it together. Yeah, and I think that's what it was for me that once once that kind of came to light, 
what you know what she's going for here or, you know the people that she's targeting that she's going after i don't know it was just and I, and, I, and, I, and I think that maybe that's what it was for me is there wasn't like a justification for it like i couldn't not that i'm for murdering people by any stretch of imagination but you know to like get behind it and like like all right let me get some entertainment out of these kills well and that's that goes to part of her revelation at the end when she confronts the the last person and he kind of he he kind of explains things to her in a way that it seems like she's like okay yeah i, I guess i do understand but it doesn't really it doesn't really work out that way no uh, one the big the biggest thing for me and the biggest hurdle I had with this was the the baby talking to her. I had because yeah, to to me everything that the baby said was completely insignificant. Like the, we could have picked up on what was happening through maybe her like her mannerisms and the way that she spoke to other people, or and and we can also even just have her talking to the baby, but just not have the baby talk back. You know what I mean? Like responding to the baby audibly, but just not have that baby voice talking <clears throat> back. Because I don't know, for some reason that just really bothered me. I didn't, I did not like that part of it at all. No, because it I, did kind of dumb it down a little bit. Yeah, it did like, put oh. it into that kind of goofball, silly territory when I felt like that didn't really fit the rest of the tone of the film. No, no. But the rest of it, uh, I did, I did like, um, aside from the very end when I felt like everything was just kind of, you know, I thought that there was a, a resolution, but there really wasn't in that kind of bummed me out. But other just, than that, I had a pretty good time with it. I would just think that you would, that you would target that person first. Well, it seemed like she did, but then she didn't have a good, a good opportunity because she goes and meets with him early on. Yeah. But she doesn't act on it. And I'm wondering if that's just because there were other people there. And she, I don't know. Yeah, you'd think you'd, you'd go after them first. But yeah. Well, plus, she's, like, she got, she, she got caught, like, quick. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, the, the, this, this movie continuing on, she got, she got caught, like, within, like, the next, like, five hours, ten hours. Oh, yeah. She was definitely caught. Because she did not do a good job of like covering her tracks (laughs) dna everywhere i mean she didn't she was she was sloppy she didn't care no i don't think she was really thinking about that too much no and i think there was there was a part of me like at the beginning where i was i was kind of thinking that this was going to be where i was piecing it together as like you know she was kind of like abandoned and now she has to do this on her own and she's kind of like lashing out and then for it to what it turned out to be because I initially first initially thought that that first one was her first kill. Right. Right. That's what, that's how I had it understood it at the time. And then of course came to light and I was just like, mm, I just, you know, I just couldn't get into it. Couldn't get behind it. And there were, there were a couple other interesting things that they added. Like, um, like the fact that when she confronts the guy, the, the, the main guy that she's going after at the end, he kind of, says like you know i was talking to him and you know things things weren't all right so th- there was that like that added bit to it too where you're thinking like okay maybe she's not so doing this in such an altruistic way maybe she's just bitter and well, you know yeah. like but also at the same time that's kind of a dick move jesus 
Well, did he even? I, 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 I mean, you I, know what I mean? To like throw that in her face? Yeah, you could get that shit to yourself. I know she's got a knife and everything, but well, geez. especially because you're trying. You know, when when you're in that situation, you're doing whatever you can yeah, to make them happy. To, yeah, you're trying you're, to de-escalate. Yeah, you you're not making it worse. That's that shouldn't be your goal when somebody has a knife in your face. Yeah, Tom's Tom's a prick. Yeah, right. I mean, he seemed like a prick, but he didn't. Yeah, he's such a prick. He didn't seem evil to me, though. Like he didn't seem like he deserved to die. I, 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 mean, I thought I thought a lot of the other people were worse than him. Really? I, I did. He was the worst. I thought he was the worst. Except I don't know. what's his name? DJ Dan. <laughs> <laughs> this guy was terrible. He was man. He was awful. At, at first, when it when it first started, I didn't really know what was going on, and I, I got that. Uh, was that movie we saw? We, we even made Ryan watch it. Um, a few. It was like last year. And it was about the the girl that went around killing men. Felt. Felt. Yeah. At first, I was getting like a felt vibe, where I was like, "Oh man, she's she's going after men, like eat like these terrible misogynistic men." But then, of course, yeah. they they turned that on its head. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually kind of glad that it was a little had a little bit more depth than just that. Eh, I didn't. I didn't really see the depth there. I think, gonna, it, had, I think it had more depth. depth. I'm, I'm saying I think it had more depth than her just killing men. Mm. Well, yeah. I, I don't feel like there's a lot of depth with that. This was, at least it was her, like, premeditated. Like, she knew who she was going after, and she had a very distinct reason for going after these people. Mm. Even though, if, you know, to her it was a good reason, but to everyone else it was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. All right. I just... And the comedy didn't really work for me too much. I mean, there was a couple parts that I thought were, you know, slightly humorous, but well, I, I didn't think that there were that that many jokes. Like I said, I felt like it was really kind of the humor was really subtle in it. Yeah, definitely. Perhaps too subtle. <laughs> Perhaps so subtle that it doesn't exist. It wasn't even comedy. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, to me, it's just like nothing really clicked for me. But at the same time, I wasn't like. I wasn't against it. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't miserable right. through that hour and a half. You know right. what I mean? Like yeah. it placated me enough that I was, I didn't shut it off or I wasn't sitting there going, Jesus Christ, get to the end. I just waited patiently for it to be over. I let it, I let Prevenge do its thing. I thought the death scenes were uh, very graphic. Uh, and the, the one scene with the, uh, uh, how do I say, I'll say mountain climber. That scene uh, was very disturbing to me, <laughs> just it because it looked so real to me, it and did, I was like, I was like, oh my god, it just brain matter and just very that, yeah. that that scene was very disturbing to me. That one was that yeah, that was definitely the worst. All in all, I had a pretty good time with it. So, uh, Prevenge, let's go ahead and give it a score out of ten. Kevin, what are you gonna give Prevenge? Give Prevenge like a uh, five and a half. All right, I'm going to give this one a six and a half. Um, like a six, six and a half on this one. Had a pretty good time with it. Uh, before we get into the watch list, there was a topic I wanted to discuss this week. Uh, there was an article that came out in Variety this week that talked about uh, studios flirting with the idea of releasing movies early in home for a higher price than a normal VOD rental. And this is a topic that's been floating around or an idea that's been floating around for quite a while. And 
I wanted to, because we never really talked about it on the show, and I wanted to just kind of briefly discuss that, see what your thoughts were for it. So according to uh, the, this Variety article that came out today, uh, six of the seven biggest Hollywood studios are continuing to push to offer movies uh, in the home mere weeks after their theatrical debuts. So Warner Brothers uh, kicked off the negotiations with exhibitors by offering to cut them in on a percentage of digital re- revenue if they agreed to let them debut films on demand for $50, uh, which would be 17 days after they opened theatrically. So sure. most, most movies are released on VOD about 90 days after their re- release. So about three months. This would shorten it down to just over two weeks. Uh, so what do, what do you think about this? So this, this is a, something that's been talked about for a while now. It seems like it's going to happen. It seems like they're just working out the logistics of it, but it seems like it's a pretty sure thing. What do you think about these new movies that are just in theaters also coming out in homes? I think it's a good idea. I like it. Well, How I'm thinking like for, for you, because you don't go to the movies that much. So I feel like for you, it seems like it'd be a really good idea especially because you live in an area that only gets the big well, yes, you know, mainstream that's the, stuff. That's the nice thing. When you live in some of these towns, I mean, we've talked about it numerous, numerous times before where, you know, I mostly get the big wide releases, right? And that's about it. Once in a while, we get some of the smaller ones, some of the outliers. But there's a lot of times where it's like, okay, this such and such movie is extending to this many cities or this many screens or whatever. Da, 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 da. And I, th- I think there's a lot of people that are kind of like out of, especially when you see on like Twitter and stuff where they're kind of like out of touch with like the rest of America here, where we don't get to see a lot of these films. We don't have access to them. Like they're not coming here. And even when they extended like, you know, more screens and such, like I'm not in that, I'm not in that city. It like, it's not coming to me. Right. So I like this, Anything that gives people more opportunities to see, you know, a greater array of, of films, because you got to think like growing up, like trying to be a cinephile when you're living in these places, you know, these small town America places, you know, that's why torrents are so big. Well, you can't see anything new. That, that was the thing. Like when you're when you're living in one of these more rural areas, you just can't see anything new. You have to wait until it comes out. You know, back then you had to wait till it came out on video yeah. and hopefully your blockbuster would have it, you know? Yeah. But then a lot of times what your blockbuster, whatever is carrying was kind of based on the clientele of that area. Sure. Yeah. You're like, you're not getting, we're not getting the foreign films and stuff. Right. And, and when things ended up on video, it was like a long time after yeah. they left theaters. I mean, it was a really long time. So I mean, for me, it's like kind of a double-edged sword. I love going to the movies, and I don't want that experience to be threatened. And this, this will most certainly eat into the profits of, of exhibitors, of theaters. Yeah. And I think that that is, that is a very real problem because, you know, people complain about how much a movie ticket costs, but that cost of that movie ticket is not going to the profit of the theater. Most theaters only make their profit off of concessions anyway. And I mean, theaters, I mean, we're already seeing it happen. I mean, a lot of smaller independently owned theaters are gone. And now all we have is the big, you know, are the big multiplexes. 
And I think that that's largely due to the fact that the profit margins of theaters are actually way, way lower than what you might expect, given the cost of a movie ticket. The thing is, like, theaters have to rent these movies. Like, that's, that's what they do. They, they rent the movie from the studio, from the distributor. And the cost to rent that movie is pretty much what it costs for the, the ticket sales. They get people into the theater, they buy their popcorn and candy and stuff, and that's where the theater makes enough money to pay their employees and overhead and all of that. So when these studios are going to say, uh, you're, th- this movie's only going to be playing for two weeks before it comes out on VOD, I think that that probably is going to eat into their profit uh, a, a good bit. Yeah. but it, How, it's- However... That being said, it looks like they're trying to work out some sort of deal with the exhibitors where they get a slice of that. They get a piece of that uh, digital, those digital sales. That would be good. That raises the question, who's going to get that? Like, is it going to be AMC, Regal, you know, all of these other, or like, are, all, are the small theaters that are like, are in my area, like the Angelica, or, or one, of these, one of these other theaters, are they going to get are they also going to get a piece of that? Like, how is that all going to even work? Yeah. But it's also nice for a number of things. You, I mean, you think, like, because what are they floating? Like a, like a $30? Right. It started at 50 That was when they first started discussing yeah. it. But now they're saying that it could be around 30 Yeah. And around 30 like, you know, that's kind of nice for people with families. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, that's, that's going to be huge. That's cheap. That's cheap. Compared to, you know, rounding up your three kids and taking them to see, you know, the new Lego Batman or whatever. Right. And, and also, if you live in like a big metropolitan area where movie tickets are $20 a piece, too. Yeah. Like where I, where just, I live. Well, just the fact, too, of just trying to get like three young kids together and trying to get them to the movies. Right. And like if and also like if it were me and I had a bunch of kids. Uh, I wouldn't want to take them to the movies because I wouldn't want them to be disruptive and, you know, assholes. Because I know when I go to the movies and there's a bunch of kids, it drives me crazy. If they're not, you know, being respectful. Yeah. So that's a, that's, that is definitely another thing. And I, I like the idea of just being able to... Because, you know, there, there's sometimes, like this week, for instance, this weekend, when I was going to the movies, I only had enough time to, to go to the theater once this weekend. And, but there were like three movies I wanted to see. Now, I would have had time to, you know, watch some of these other movies if they were available on demand when I got home. You know, I can I can watch a movie at midnight if I want to. Yeah. And that's another thing, too, is like think of someone like Ryan. Oh, yeah. Him wanting to go to the movies. He has to find someone to take him to the movies. Right. And it's a whole thing, too. Like it's an event getting him into, you know, getting him into the car and getting him into the theater and getting him in and seated and all of that stuff. Like that's a huge ordeal. Whereas I think for him, he would probably love the idea of paying 30 bucks, having like a couple of his buddies over, drink some beers and watch the latest, um, you know, whatever movie. The new Fast and Furious 9. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I read that in, in this article, it says that Disney's not really on board with this whole thing. So they probably won't be participating because their movies are typically big theater movies anyway. Like those Disney movies, which includes the Marvel and Star Wars movies, everybody goes to the theaters to see those anyway. Yeah. Plus they're just Disney. That's such a Disney move too. It is a Disney move, isn't it? It truly is. It's so Disney. 
So look, I mean, the, I, I see the pros and cons of this, but I think just on a consumer level, I think that this will be a good thing. I think it'll, it'll help. Uh, like you said, it'll help get more, a, a bigger variety of cinema out there. And I'm just wondering if the, the, how, cause you know, we're talking about it as movie lovers. We're talking about it as people who watch, uh, multiple movies per week and, I'm wondering how this will affect people like the, just the normal moviegoer, people who maybe go see a movie once a month or people who go see the latest Star Wars movie like three weeks out, you know? Yeah. And they'll just go see a matinee or whatever. Like, how's it going to affect those people is, is what I'm wondering how that's going to all play out. So I don't know. I guess we'll have to keep an eye on it, but I can almost guarantee you with 100% certainty that this is how it's going to be in the future. We're going to see more big movies hitting home release for these higher prices, and we're going to see, as a result, probably, unfortunately, more theaters closing. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. spe- speaking of uh, things on VOD and whatnot, let's dive into the watch list, one that I believe is on VOD and in theaters. See, that's something that they could do more of, too, because, you know, give people the option. Yeah. Because sometimes I'd rather, if it's like some throwaway horror movie, like the one I'm about to mention, I'd just rather see it at home. But if it's something I'm really excited about, then I want to definitely have that theater experience. That's what I mean. Like, those, those like, mid-level films. Right. You know, give us a chance. Give us, you know, the people that are out in these small towns. Give us the opportunity to see these things. Yep. Completely agree. Uh, I saw Dig Two Graves. This came out uh, in theaters on VOD this weekend. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of this. I have a review for it up on the site. It's a horror, not really a horror movie. It's sort of like a supernatural thriller uh, about this this girl who lives in this this small town that's uh, sort of plagued by this this incident that happened with her family years ago. It takes place in the seventies. It's actually uh, pretty cool, but. Basically, her brother dies, and then a year later, she gets approached by these very strange men who say that they can bring her brother back to life, but someone needs to take his place. So essentially, she has to kill somebody in order to bring her brother back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as she kind of grapples with this decision, um, she starts to figure out that there were some terrible things that happened in the past involving these three guys, uh, their family, their parents. And her grandfather, who was played by Ted Levine, it's okay. It's not great. Uh, it's pretty pretty right down the middle for me. Wouldn't wouldn't really recommend it. It's it's just the problem with it is that it's just so terribly average that there's yeah. not a whole lot to say about it. It's very vanilla. Like the um, everything's predictable. You can see where everything is going. There's no real kind of creepy moments to it or anything like that. It's just kind of happens and you're just like, all right, and there we go. Ted Levine's pretty good. He plays a sheriff. I think that he always needs to play a sheriff or some sort of uh, police officer. Cause he's really good at the, doing that. He's, he's, he's good. He's good cop. Yeah, he is. He's a great cop. He's good. <laughs> But anyway, that's Dig Two Graves. It's out now, but I'd probably uh, probably skip that one. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, it sounds like a, a somewhat interesting premise. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's okay. It's somewhat interesting, but just by it sounds, it doesn't 
really sound like they do. Too yeah, much I mean, like, it. yeah, as far as like visuals and stuff, there's just not a lot going on there. Mm. Well, I watched a documentary, The Eagle Huntress. Oh yeah, this one's this is the one we talked about. about. Yeah, we talked about this one before, and I made fun of the title, and then you were like, "Oh, it's supposed to be it's like a, really, yeah, really good." Yeah, she's an eagle huntress. So, um, documentary wise, oh, well, this is one of those things. These these types of documentaries are difficult for me because number one, the story itself, right? <clears throat> extremely compelling, extremely captivating. It's a great fucking story. So much so that I mean, you have to be fucking awful to screw this up, right? Like it's just it's perfect. It's such a great story. It is. It's in Mongolia. The tradition is you you snatch yourself an eaglet, right? You gotta climb into the nest, and grab an eaglet, and then take it back to your house and train it to hunt. And in the winter, you go out in out in the snow with your eagle and your horse, and your eagle hunts foxes for you. And that's how you get your food. And you do this for 10 years, and after 10 years of service, you let the eagle go, right? Now, always men. It's always men. It's always been men. And they have they have like competitions and stuff. And this one guy has won two competitions and everything. And his daughter wants to be an eagle huntress. She wants to be the first woman to do it, right? So, I mean, that's a great story. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you got eagles hunting foxes and shit. I mean, goodness gracious. But, I mean, the way that they handle this is just, it's so, uh, it's, it's, it's so TV. Everything feels unbelievably staged. Everything feels so fake. Like it feels like a nature doc, but not, you know, and not a high end nature doc, like, you know, planet earth or anything like that, where, you know, you can tell that these filmmakers have been spending years and years trying to get this footage. It's just like, there's one, there's one section where she's, she's in the, she's in the competition, right? So she's down in the valley with her horse and her dad lets the eagle go from up on like the rocky cliff. And then she's got to call the eagle and the eagle's got to land on her hand, right? It's got to be this like nice smooth motion while she's galloping full stride with the horse. So of course they, they amp it up the way that it, like one person on Letterboxd pointed out, it feels like reality TV where they kind of like heighten everything mm. through the editing and whatnot. So they keep cutting from the eagle in the air to her calling the eagle but it's the same footage oh no so they just like keep replaying the same thing and it's like it's so obvious you're just like you're playing the same loop of her call like three times like let's just get to it like stop repeating yourself like it's already compelling you don't need to do these kinds of tricks that sucks yeah i mean it's it's worth a watch because of the story you know what i mean but Filmmaking wise is eh, oh no thank you. All right, well I saw one that's the Eagle Huntress. I saw one that uh, also has some pretty bad filmmaking. That's Resident Evil: The Final Chapter. Oh my god. Okay, so I've I've seen all the other Resident Evil movies, and maybe it was just the the mind space that I was in when I watched this, but I don't remember the other ones being so frenetic, like so frantic as this one, but. From the onset, so there's like this probably 10 to 15 minute intro where they're catching everybody up on what's going on in these movies. 
because that's what they need to do because at this point the plot is so convoluted that I don't even think the filmmakers have any idea what the fuck's going on with this plot. But after the, you get all caught up, it starts off with a big action scene right off the bat. And the, the cuts in this, I swear to God, I want somebody to, to go through and count the number of cuts in this movie because I bet there's 87,000 cuts in this movie. It's out of control. Like, cut, 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 cut. And it's, it was so much that it physically gave me a headache at mm-hmm. one point. I was, yeah, I, I couldn't believe what was happening in this movie. Like, I had no idea what was going on because every action scene, which it's, the movie's almost entirely comprised of action. There's very little downtime. It's so, it's so frantic that, because they combine the, the really super fast cuts with shaky cam. So you have no idea what's going on. Like, I had absolutely no clue what was happening most of the time. It sounds nauseating. It is. It's unbelievable. And the shaky cam, they use it at really weird times. Because, you know, typically shaky cam is used during action scenes to, to make things look more... Uh, more actiony. They they make things they make things look faster, and they use it to kind of mask, you know, uh, bland choreography or whatever. And the shaky cam in this, they would use it at really random times. Like there's a scene where they're kind of crawling through an air duct, and they're using shaky cam. It's like vibrating, like while they're crawling through this air duct. And I was like, okay, this is a really slow paced, quiet scene. Why are we? Why is the camera vibrating like that? Why is it moving? There's no reason for it. Because the camera itself was in a fixed position. It wasn't like following them through it, you know, like crawling through the duct with them. It was just on a fixed angle, but it was still shaking. And you're just like, what is going on here? Why does this... I mean, this guy, Paul W.S. Anderson's been making movies for a long time. Like, he should know... That this is not this is not good. This is not good filmmaking, and it surprised me to see that there were so many positive reviews on Letterbox for this movie. Because I was like, I don't, I just don't see it. Like this movie's complete garbage. Like I, there is like no redeeming qualities to this movie at all. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Resident Evil: The Final Chapter is a complete waste of time. Don't even bother. Ooh, damn! I watched uh, I Olga Hepnerova. Yeah, I wanted to see this. Uh, it's all right. I'll give you that. Throw that out there. I don't know if that entices you anymore. So this is, and correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, this is a true story of a woman who drove a truck into a crowd of people mm-hmm. waiting at a, like a train st- station or something. Waiting right? at the bus stop. Bus waiting, stop. Waiting at the bus stop. Yeah, this is a true story of... Olga Hepnerova, who was the last woman in Czechoslovakia to be executed. So she just straight up ran over people. Um, they, you know, they were like, you know, did he black out? What happened? Da, 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 da. And she's like, no, I meant to do it. They were all like old people, right? Yeah, she wanted to just, she wanted to kill a whole bunch of people. And essentially this was a, and they used, they utilized some of her like actual writings, like some of her letters and stuff to make this film. Um, those portions of the film work. Uh, there's a lot of stuff at the beginning of like trying to establish her, which didn't just for me, didn't really work. She was, there was just, wasn't that much depth to her character. 
or her as a person. It just seemed like they didn't really know what to do. And they were almost, they're almost afraid of like projecting and creating a character from her. So they just kind of made her, I mean, pretty rudimentary in where she's just kind of morose. Um, she's just miserable. Uh, and then she ends up essentially blaming society for her lot in life. And then she, in her words, sentences them to death. So she runs over a bunch of people waiting at a bus stop. So, you know, essentially she's the victim. You guys made me do it because you were so awful to me and I'm such a victim and I've been abused all my life, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just, it's one of those things where I'm just, again, the intention here or the aim, I just, I don't understand. I don't comprehend. Like, I don't know what, what's the point of this. Like you have the true story. You can read the true story. You can read her writings on on it. You know what I mean? Like you're not really adding anything here. You're not really exploring anything. You were just like, oh, I'm gonna make this is this is a gripping story and I'm gonna I'm gonna do it black and white. And it's so gonna it's, be a festival hit. So it's like uh Christine, right? Isn't that the name? I mean kinda. You're talking about the one with uh, Rebecca Hall? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean kinda. It's okay. just uh, it was all right. It was a meh. Watched a lot of meh. Just frustrating. <laughs> yeah. You get that streak of meh going. Uh, so I saw T2 Train Spotting. Oh, look at you. Yeah. Uh, so as I've said before on the show, Train Spotting, one of my all time favorite movies. Uh, just a transcendent film for me. I cannot speak highly enough of the original Train Spotting. So I was. I had a lot of anticipation going into this one. I wasn't expecting it to be a masterpiece, like on the level of the original one. I knew that nothing would ever be able to hold up to that just because of when I saw it and where I was at in my life. And I just knew it was never going to happen. Uh, but I was, ex- I was hoping that it would be at least a kind of a fun nostalgia trip. And it really was. Um, it, it's, it's interesting because as much as, we go see train spotting two for the nostalgia factor. That's kind of what the movie's all about. I mean, it's about um, Ewan McGregor's character Renton comes back to Scotland after being away for 20 years. And it's been 21 years since the original one came out. So he comes back and basically meets up with all of the characters that were from the original and sort of just picks back up where he left off. And the the entire film is about them aging and kind of addressing the the things that they left in the past and moving on and and moving into the future and it was interesting because it's it felt like there wasn't a whole lot to say with this movie whereas in the first train spotting they there were a lot of kind of social issues that they that they played around with and spoke about in the film whereas in this one they, they kind of allude to things changing um, in this kind of post-Brexit world that, that we live in now. Like, for instance, when Renton first gets off the, uh, I think it was, I can't remember if he was on a plane or a train or whatever, but he comes, he goes from Amsterdam, that's where he's been living the last 20 years, and he gets off in, uh, in Scotland, and he is greeted by someone welcoming him to Scotland, and he's like, oh, well, you know, where are you from? And she's like, Serbia. And there was just like these little like hints that, you know, that the times are changing and you get the feeling that these, these characters, these, these drug addicts are still kind of stuck 
in the 90s. They're kind of trapped in their glory days, sort of. And so in that, in that regard, it was kind of interesting. But overall, uh, by the end of the film, I was just like, I don't know if this needs to exist because there isn't a whole lot that happens with these characters as far as an arc with them. They pretty much, where they're at at the beginning of the movie is pretty much exactly where they're at the end of the movie. And there's no real kind of growth that I could see there. But either way, it was still fun to come back to these, these characters and these you know, silly, like in the, basically what happens is he, he comes back and he rekindles his, his friendship with Spud, who's still a heroin addict. By this point, um, Ewan McGregor's character has kicked the heroin for the last 20 years. Like he gave it up the end of the, um, the first movie and he never took it again. So he was clean. And but unfortunately, Spud is still addicted, and um, Sick Boy, the guy that uh, Johnny Johnny Lee Miller plays, he's kind of into cocaine now. He moved on from heroin to cocaine, mm. and after they meet up, they hatch this plan to convert this old uh, building into a brothel. So they're they're trying to create a brothel, <laughs> but the problem with that is that the the actual plot of this film is very hollow. Like there's just nothing really going on there. Uh, and then Robert Carlyle's character, Begbie, he's in prison for the last 20 years. So he breaks out of prison and then just tries to hunt down Renton and kill him basically. Because if you remember at the end of the first film, he takes all the money and leaves. Yeah. So it, it does tie up some loose ends that were left in the first one, but there were a few things that really bothered me about it, other than like the really kind of thin plot. Um, the first thing was that they would frequently, um, Danny Boyle would frequently show clips and like still images from the original film. And that, that just no, bothered me. Yeah, yeah, that bothered me. And it yeah. happens, uh, I don't know, half a dozen times maybe. And, and that just, I don't know. I just was not into that at all. Like there's a scene where they go and they visit um, Tommy's grave where uh, if you remember, Tommy was their friend in the first one who, who ended up contracting AIDS and then dying uh, in that, in the film. They, so they go visit Tommy's grave and they talk about it and then they like cut to this like still image of Tommy. And it's like, all right, we didn't need to see that because anybody that's seeing this movie either knows exactly who Tommy is and they're huge fans of the, the original film and that's why they're seeing this in the first place or they're seeing, they just saw the original film for the first time and then are now going to see the sequel. Like there's nobody that's going to see this that hasn't seen the original. You know what yeah. I mean? So there's no reason to be putting in all the, of these blatant, uh, not they're not just callbacks. They're like, hand-holding callbacks where they're like oh we're gonna go visit tommy here's tommy up on the screen if in case you forgot he was a big part of the first film but in case you forgot this is what he looked like and it was just like come on and at the beginning of the film you know danny boyle likes likes his kind of visual flair i mean he that was kind of the big thing about train spotting right was that he does all these really interesting things with the visuals like when Renton was overdosing and the, the scene when he kind of sank into the floor. And those were like some of the biggest things that kind of blew my mind about that movie. I was just like, I've never seen anything like this before. It was amazing. And he does a number of really interesting things in this one, but 
some of the things he does are I I hate to say amateurish, but that's what it it felt like. Like the in the beginning of the film, there's a scene where there's they're having a conversation and for some reason like the words, like the dialogue that they're speaking is showing up on the screen almost like subtitles sort of. And I was like, "Why is that? Why is that happening? Why are they doing that?" This all sounds terrible. Yeah, it was really it's really confusing to me why they did that. Like I don't know if they were trying to acclimate us to how they speak, you know, or, or what? I, I don't know. I don't know what it was, but it was bad. I don't know why that was there. But there were, there were a number of uh, stylistic choices that I think, I think you would even appreciate them. Like some, some, camera, some camera movements and things where you're just like, oh, man, this is awesome. From Danny Boyle? I don't know. You, you can't, you have to admit that tr- the original train spotting has some yeah, no. amazing oh, cinematography. Yeah. No, they got they do some they do some interesting stuff too in that first one. And and he does he does some really interesting things in this one too. I mean, it's a lot of it is, you know, his kind of hallmark stuff like he does the the thing where that he did in the in the original with the kind of fast moving um tracking shots throughout the city. Like he does that and th- of course the soundtrack is a big highlight too. I mean, it's got a, a really awesome soundtrack. The weird thing is that most of the songs in this soundtrack are just sort of remixed versions of the songs from the original. Like, mm-hmm. like Lust for Life has this kind of remixed version and um, the Born Slippy, the Underworld songs, they do kind of a, and uh, I think Perfect Day, that song is, they use kind of a remixed version of that too. So, you know, it's, it's okay. I, I'm, I feel really conflicted about it. In fact, I wrote a review. I wrote an entire review for this movie and I didn't, end up publishing it because I felt so I felt so conflicted about my thoughts like part of me really enjoys it part of me is really disappointed I have issues with it but so much of it I I did really enjoy Mm -hmm. so I probably won't publish the review it's just a giant time waster but nice at any rate T2 T2 train spotting is uh playing in theaters right now is that playing in your area is that a wide release I didn't even check. I know Rock Dog is. Rock <laughs> yes, Dog. Rock Dog. Uh, anything else for you? No, uh, time constraints. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the wrap it up. All right. Uh, let's talk about what's coming out next week. So in theaters next week we have Peelers. Peelers. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. For whatever reason, I'm, I, I always think of something completely different, and then I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. I don't know if we'll be covering that one. We have a screener, but I don't know about that. Uh, let's see what else. Big big releases next week. We have Ghost in the Shell. Now, something tells me. I hope this is good, but something tells me it is not going to be good. I think now, it's going to. I think it's going to be pretty bad, actually. I would like to update you. We my the main theory that I go to does not have T two train spotting or whatever the title of that is. So I can't see that, <clears throat> but I can see Table Nineteen. Oh, so, okay. That's just the taste of how things work in the shack. I can see the shack. Whatever that's that. a. I think the shack's a, a religious movie, isn't it? Yeah, we we yeah we always get those Christian movies. We yeah, I think I think the shack's a Christian movie. Uh, so Ghost in the Shell. I'm I'm gonna say that that's gonna be pretty bad. I'm of course hoping that it's good. I I love the Ghost in the Shell story, but yeah, I'm not not holding my breath on that one. We also have the Boss Baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that one looks 
really bad too. So I'm not so sure about that. Uh, the zookeeper's wife. That's one with Jessica Chastain. That doesn't look good either. I did. Yeah, yeah. I saw a trailer for that just uh, just this weekend, and uh, not that's not doing it for me at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, the black coat's daughter. This one. Uh, this one. I'm yeah. not. I'm not too familiar with it. I feel like I saw a trailer for this, but I can't remember. I think it's with. Um, I, think is, I think this is this the same guy that did that uh, on the pretty thing that lives in inside the house or whatever that Netflix horror was called. This is with uh, Emma Roberts. I don't know. I might might check that one out. I might give that one a look. All right, well, let's see what else we got here alone. Uh, I think both you and I saw that. I saw that at Tribeca like two years ago. And I think you saw that at some point. Yeah, it's about the woman. It's a kind of post-apocalyptic zombie type movie. But it's about a woman who lives on her own in the forest. If I did, I don't remember anything you, at all. I'm pretty sure you saw it. Like, she, she has to, like, put mud all over her body whenever she goes out and gets supplies. And then that guy and his daughter find her. And then they, she ends up forming a relationship with the father. And you can't see, but I'm just shaking my head. No, <laughs> I swear you saw this movie, and I'm pretty I sure you did. I don't know. Either way, it's it's all right. It's not great. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, all this panic. Uh, that's a slightly interesting looking coming of age documentary that I'll probably check out. Despite the falling snow, I don't really know anything about that. Mm-hmm. Live cargo. God knows mm-hmm. where I am. <laughs> Pitching tents. And that's pretty much it. Not not a whole lot as far as uh, theatrical. Not not a, not a whole lot as far as uh, VOD releases next week. We have the Black Coat's Daughter, Peelers, and Indiscretion. Mm, okay. Yeah. So not not a lot going on next week. On Blu-ray next week. This is for Tuesday, March twenty-eighth. We have Silence. Uh, now I think you liked that one, right? The Scorsese. Yeah, that's pretty good. I didn't see it yet, so... I was surprised. I was surprised with that one. Yeah, I'll catch up on that one. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Vestron is putting out the Wishmaster collection, which I'm pretty excited about, which contains uh, Wishmaster, Wishmaster 2, Evil Never Dies, Wishmaster 3, Beyond the Gates of Hell, Wishmaster 4, what's the subtitle? The Prophecy Fulfilled. Uh, I have a soft spot for the Wishmaster movies. They're all pretty bad, but they're still a lot of fun. Uh, Arrow is coming out with Death Walks at Midnight from 1972. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in that as well. A Monster Calls, The Handmaiden, I'd recommend that. Patriot's Day, uh, not, not interested in that one. That's the Boston Marathon one with Mark Wahlberg. The Peter Berg one, I believe. I think Peter Berg directed that. Why Him? That comedy with James Franco, <laughs> man, you hate you hate Franco so much. I fucking he's hate that guy. He's in so much shit. He makes a lot of shitty movies, and he's in a lot of shitty movies. He's just fucking an oversaturation of James Franco. I feel like it's been less recently. I think it hasn't been as much quite recently. But well, I think people have just like stopped talking about it. I don't think it's been less. I think it's just that people are like, oh, it's another one. I'm not. I'm just I'm just going to ignore it. I think we're at the ignoring stage. It could be. Wow. It could that could definitely be because I think he, he came out with one like not too long ago either and it just kind of came away and it was like some kind of 
That's like that's his like last... gothic horror story or something. Yeah, that's like his last seventeen movies that he made. Like, he, I mean, he's re, he's adapted every Faulkner book, I think. Yeah, yeah, he likes doing that. All right, what do we have on the Criterion front next week? Uh, we have a big one. Uh, that's Antonioni's Blow Up, finally coming out on the Blu-ray from 1966. I'm pretty excited about Whoa. this. I I have not seen Blow Up, so <sighs> yeah, that's been on my list of shame for a long time rectify that situation yeah i probably will check that out all right i think that that is gonna do it for this week thank you so much for tuning in you can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net you can follow us on twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulse kevin and if you have a minute take a look at our patreon page patreon.com slash filmpulse consider helping us out by becoming a subscriber for kevin rakestraw my name is adam patterson we'll see you next week